So this morning, we are going to continue our study of doing God's business God's way here at Mission Road Bible Church. And so this is part three. And so last week, Pastor Aaron covered how we have a word ministry with one another. So when we say that we are doing God's business God's way, we mean that we are completely dependent on the word of God used by the spirit of God to sanctify sinners. And so all of us as Christians have a word-centered ministry with one another, as Pastor Aaron covered last week. If you're a Christian, then individually you have the responsibility that we need to come along one another. We need to make disciples. That is actually our mission here at Mission Road. And how do we do that? We do that as regulated by the Word of God. That is what we use to encourage one another in the faith. So we have a ministry to one another as Christians to help disciple one another to be more like Christ. However, our ministry, our word-centered ministry, does not stop as far as to just Christians. But we have a ministry to those who are not Christians, those who are outside the walls of this church, also those who come inside the walls of this church who were not believers. So this morning, that is what we're going to talk about is our word-centered ministry to unbelievers. And what is this word that we have to share with unbelievers? And that is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And we have good news. We have good news because we have the news how you can have eternal life, how you can be saved from your sins through the person and works of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who have that message through Scripture, and we are the ones that have the responsibility to share that with those who desperately need to hear it. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. He wrote, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I have preached to you, which you have received, and which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So as Paul puts it, salvation comes through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how do we know about this? As he says in this passage, it is according to the Scriptures. We have the Old Testament that points forward to what Christ was going to come to earth to do. And now we actually have the New Testament that we have the Gospels that shows his life of how he lived a perfect life. And then also how he died on a cross for the, to be a sacrifice for sinners who would put their faith and trust in him. And of course, we know the hope that we have of him coming back, bringing salvation to those who have faith in him. We have everything we need to know about Jesus within the word of God. So our ministry to the lost is to bring this good news of Jesus Christ as it is revealed in scripture. That's our task. Now, I'm sure many of you 
have done this and have had, it's been a joyful experience. You've actually seen people that you've witnessed to actually come to faith, have fruit of this message of the gospel and have been changed. That is something that I hope all of us have experienced. And yet also, I'm sure all of you in some ways have had actually terrible experiences in sharing the gospel. Many times sharing the gospel can be an intimidating and discouraging experience. I myself have many times have been very discouraged in trying to witness to my lost friends and loved ones who I want to come to Christ. There's been so many times of me being a coward and actually passing by an opportunity or sharing the gospel only to walk away with my head hung and disappointment that I completely botched it or that it turned into arguments and I feel like I actually did more harm than good. I mean, that is something that's been experience of mine. I'm sure it has been experience of yours too. And if you're like me, you have a lot of memories of how you were completely helpless and effective and completely powerless in saving someone that you love. And the truth is, you are powerless. You are completely powerless and you, within your ability, are completely hopeless in saving anyone. But the good news is, is salvation belongs to the Lord, and he is able to save. That is the hope that we have, that we have a loving God who saves sinners, and that is the message that we are to save. We need to evangelize the lost as he has prescribed within Scripture. And the gospel, as we give it, needs to be as God has revealed it within his word, how he has shared the revelation of himself and his plan of salvation through the person and works of Jesus Christ. And so we have to constantly remind us, remind ourselves of these things, because it's so easy to lose track and get off in the weeds of different stuff and all of a sudden just lose, just focus on the simplicity of our task of how we are to share this simple message to those who desperately need to hear it. So we need to be in this constant process of reminding ourselves just simple biblical truth for we can think rightly and also be faithful in evangelism. So this morning, I want to cover four reminders in pursuing evangelism God's way. Just as a note, these are something I wrote to myself I myself am preaching to myself this morning. So these are things just through study that I came up with really to help myself remi help remind myself of biblical truth as far as to help myself be faithful in evangelism. So the first reminder that I'm going to cover is we need to understand the spiritual hopelessness of the mission field. Now, this is something that has already been covered in this class. Pastor Myrell covered it a couple of weeks ago, and... But yet, this is something that we need to constantly remind ourselves of, is the spiritual hopelessness of the mission field. And so there's several verses I'm just going to quote for you, and actually verses that Myrtle has already quoted, but once again, it's good to review. So don't try to keep up with me, because I'm going to go through these very fast. Once again, this is a review. But the, but the testimony of Scripture as far as the heart of man, Jeremiah 19, 17, 9 rather, the heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the testimony of Scripture, as far as the heart of every man, it is corrupt. It is full of corruption. 
With that, Jeremiah also says in chapter 13, 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil? And the answer is no. It just says a leopard by his nature cannot change his spots. Those who are evil by nature cannot do good. By nature, you are fully corrupt. It was not that long ago that Pastor Rick went through Ephesians 2, where Paul taught that people before Christ are dead in trespasses and sins and walk according to this world, according to the power of Satan. They are under the control of Satan, completely dead within their own sins. So, what is with this diagnosis of who humanity is, what is a natural man going to do when you come to them and say, okay, here's this good news, please listen to it? By nature, they are going to reject it. And that is important for us to understand. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul writes, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, because they are foolishness to him. So what is the mission field? The mission field is people who are dead in their sins and in the pocket of Satan. And those are the people that we are to go out to and make disciples out of. So how is that possible? How is that possible? And Scripture reveals that it is possible because God is capable. He is capable of turning somebody from being dead in sins to alive in Christ. So there is hope in God for doing this. And so this is, salvation belongs to the Lord. This is something that he does, and yet he uses us in this ministry. God is capable, and he is capable because he is able to bring new birth to those who are dead. Now we know this, why? Because as Christians, this is our testimony, that is who we are. We were those dead in trespasses of sins who God brought to truth and made alive in the gospel. Titus, uh, Paul writes to Titus in Titus 3, 3-7, and this is a passage that we can easily fit ourselves into, but he says this, For we were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hating, hateful, hating one another, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So the hope that we have based on this passage is not hope within ourselves, our works, or our ability to rightfully share this message. Our hope is we have a God who saves through his mercy and his grace. He saves sinners. So understanding the depravity of mankind, but knowing who our God is, understanding that should not cause us to be discouraged in reaching out to those who are lost. It actually should embolden us to share that message, first it should give us a compassion. We were that. We were those heading to hell before God intervened. And so how can we not have compassion on those who are right now heading to hell when we have the message of good news of salvation? 
It's knowing that the depravity of humanity should give us a compassion for the lost. Also, understanding the depravity of man should lead us to not being discouraged when the gospel is rejected. That is going to happen, sadly. That is the testimony of man. Not all are going to believe, but that should not stop us from us faithfully sharing that message with those because we know that God actually does save. He does save those through the gospel. And so, and then also, understanding depravity, that should make us turn from our own ability and turn to God in his provisions to save the lost. He is the one who saves. So we must always, always remember who mankind is, this mission field in which we are bringing the gospel, but also understand who God is. Yes, our mission field is full of people who are going to reject the gospel, and yet, guess what? God is able to save those hardened sinners and bring them to faith. That is our hope. So that should actually encourage us in sharing this message. With that in mind, moving on to the second reminder in pursuing evangelism God's way, the second reminder is we must embrace our mission as ambassadors of Christ. So as Christians, we all have a mission, and we need part of that mission is actually understanding who we are, understanding who we are in Christ, and embracing our responsibility of the mission that we have of sharing the gospel. Paul gives great clarity to this in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21. Go ahead and turn there with me. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, he, before this, just giving us some context, he's talking about how people become a new creature, a new creation in Christ. And after he describes that, then in verse 18, he says this, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So there's so much in this passage. I wish we could just spend the whole morning just talking about this, but just a few observations that we need to understand. First of all, God is in the business of reconciliation. It is his business to reconcile sinners to himself. Now we need to understand why does there need to be reconciliation? And there needs to be reconciliation because all people are born into sin, which separates you from God, which means there's a separation between men and God. And then when you think of separation, you don't want to think that that just means that God is kind of aloof, just kind of ignoring you, just doesn't really have much to do with you because of your sin. That's not the relationship you have with God. The relationship you have in the separation is a relationship of wrath. It is wrath because of his holiness and righteousness, because of who he is and who we are sinners. That sin must be punished. So this reconciliation that he provides is actually going from a relationship of wrath 
to a relationship that you now have in righteousness because of what he has done. That is what God has done. And this is good news. Yes, it's bad news that you're born into sin and you're in the wrath of God, but the good news is that God has done something to provide reconciliation. He is the one who is the initiator. He is the one who has provided the way. And what is the way? The way is that he sent his son to pay the price. As Paul just said, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is the good news that the price has been paid for those who have faith in Christ. Through the person and works of Jesus Christ, there is reconciliation that is available. That is good news. Now, how do people hear this news? People hear this news because, as Paul just puts it, those whom he has reconciled to himself actually is put into ministry. As he says, they're given the ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation. You have a messenger. So the whole theological concept of God reconciling sinners, there is a conclusion to that. And that is, as Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making appeal through us. So as Christians, who are we? We need to understand who we are. We are ambassadors. And what is an ambassador? Back in Paul's day, an ambassador would have been someone who was a servant of a king or a ruler and would have actually carried a message from the king to someone else. And now this would have been somebody who was trusted, honored, and respected. The king would have sent one of his best, one of his best to actually be the one who carries this message to someone else. And yet, when it comes to us, God does not send his best. Instead, he actually sends those with a history of rebellion, treason. He sends the vile. He sends us. We are the ones that actually go from being those in rebellion against him, rebellion against the king, and yet he entrusts us with this precious message to give to others. That is who we are as Christians. And so we are the one who carry this message of reconciliation. We are the ones, as Paul puts it, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And we are the ones who tell how you can do that through Jesus Christ. So our, our mission as ambassadors of Christ is to just simply share the good news. That's what we do. It's as simple as that. It seems simple, and it is simple. We have a simple message of the gospel, and that is what we do. We share that message. We take the message from God, and we deliver it to others. It's a simple thing. And yet, there's so many times we make that complicated. Once again, we are to simply re deliver the message of the gospel as revealed in Scripture, and yet, many, many times we make this very complicated. And with that in mind, we're going to move to our third reminder pursuing evangelism, and that is we must abandon the humanistic tactics and gimmicks of this world. So when I started taking classes here at the Expositor Seminary, I will admit I thought that I was fully committed to the sufficiency of God's word and salvation, that is something that I would say, yes, I'm fully committed to that. And yet, 
there was a part of me that wanted to become a black belt in apologetics. <laughs> I wanted to be one of those guys that you on those videos that is able to just stand toe-to-toe with any op- opposition and be able to just, just completely mow them over with my reason. I was one of those that every once in a while would indulge in those, those videos, things titled like, Watches Atheists Get Destroyed with Logic and Reason. You know, you know the videos I'm talking about. So there was a piece of me... There was a piece of me that was looking forward to like, yeah, I want to be that guy. And then, so I took Dr. Zimmick's class on apologetics, and long story short, I was completely humbled from those viewpoints. I did not become a black belt in apologetics, but what did happen is I was emboldened in my conviction of the sufficiency of God's word in salvation. It is God's word in which we give to saved sinners. We have hope in his ability and not ourselves. And so in the church today, there are many well-meaning brothers and sisters that are trying to win the loss through many different tactics rather than just sharing the simple gospel message. So I want to share, there's three texts in Dr. Zimmick's class in which he he told us that if you, if you walk away and forget everything I said, if you just go to these three texts, then at least you have something. So he said these three texts should haunt you within ministry. And so the first one, and let's turn there together, is in 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. Now, this is a verse that Myrl quoted. I myself have already quoted part of this this morning And the reason why is it's so important that we understand this. So Paul writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14, he writes, Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So once again, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. He cannot do that, not because he doesn't understand, but it's because they are spiritually appraised. He sees no value in the things of God. And this means that we are not able to argue somebody into heaven. That is not our job, that through our own well-crafted arguments and our own reasoning, that we are going to win somebody to Christ just due to our reason and wit. They are not going to accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are spiritually appraised. It is going to fall on deaf ears. But we're not helpless. As Paul just says, we do have, we're not to speak words of human wisdom, but we do have words taught by the Spirit of God. That is what we have. So with that in mind, let's turn to the second verse, and this one will actually be in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. This is the second verse that Dr. Zimmick said, you must understand this. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. 
We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so we don't war according to the flesh. That is not our weapons of warfare, our own wit in reasoning. We have spiritual weapons of warfare. And as we've been going through in this class, what are our weapons? It is the word of God used through the spirit of God. That is what we have. That is what God uses to save. Now, with that in mind, it's so easy. There's such a temptation to actually fall into walking away and relying on other resources, other than just the simplicity of the gospel. There are many apologist speakers teaching that you must first prove God and prove the Bible is trustworthy before you can share the good news. Now, these are good men. Many of them are actually people that I learned from. And yet, they're teaching that reason must come before faith. And yet, that is the opposite of what Scripture teaches. That reason actually does not come before faith because it's not reasonable. It's foolishness to an unbeliever. And so they teach that we are to lead with rational arguments before presenting the gospel. You've heard of things of like the ontological, cosmological, teleological, moralistic arguments. All these philosophical arguments that you can actually prove the existence of God to the unbeliever and then backfill it with the gospel. And yet, that is not what they're going to listen to because it's unreasonable to them. Also with that, many teach that we need to bring scientific arguments and two, for we can actually prove the existence of God. Now, don't hear me say this. Don't hear me say that the Christian faith is not reasonable and there's not scientific evidences. Yes, there is. And yes, I would be the first person to say that the Christian worldview is the only reasonable worldview and the only thing that makes the world make sense. And yet, that is not what we lead into. We have the message from God in which we are to give. And so, are we to reason with the unbeliever? The answer is no. The answer is no. Now, that does not mean that we reject all questions. No, we, can, we answer questions. We can talk about reason. We can talk about scientific evidences. That's, that's okay. Especially when the questions are well-meaning and people actually want to know. We can have those conversations, but when we are trying to reach somebody with the gospel, those questions need to try to be tabled until we can lead off with a presentation of what the scripture says about the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the priority, not to win an argument. We want to present to them the good news of Jesus Christ. And yeah, within the conversation, if we talk about those things, that's fine, but that is not what we lead with. We have scripture. And so some other tactics, there's, we could spend all morning talking about some of these. I just want to kind of quickly go over some, but the other tactics that we need to be on guard against are just gimmicky, even evangelistic tracts, mantras, um, gotcha gospel presentations. There are some, go there are some gospel tracts that are very helpful. I have some that I like to use. But there's also a lot of them that are very cheesy, very unhelpful, and really do a disservice to the gospel. I mean, there's full of these cheesy one-liners like turn or burn, here's your ticket out of hell, or here's how you have fire insurance. That is just not a way that really just dignifies scripture and the gospel. We need to be careful about those things. 
The other thing that we need to be very careful of in presentations, whether it's a track or it's this formula, formula in which we present the gospel, is leaving out hard truths. It's so easy and try to be winsome that we leave out sin, we leave out God's wrath due to sin, or we even leave out the cost of becoming a Christian. The cost of becoming a Christian is that you abandon everything of yourself, which for somebody who is blind and sin, that is a terrible sell. That is not something that is appealing, and yet that is the news. There is a cost through repentance of you turning away from your sin to follow Christ, and those are things that we have to leave in the gospel as we tell them the good news. We need to make sure that whether it's a track or it's something that we say, that we're actually able to say, the Bible says this, or God says this. Once again, we are presenting the gospel as Scripture portrays it. And there's one more I want to touch on, and this is one I want to touch on because the line can become very fuzzy as far as this just method of evangelism. The line can be very fuzzy as far as what's good and what's bad, and then also it pulls on all our heartstrings, and that is winning the lost with acts of goodwill or social action. It's something that we need to have discernment with. It's something that we need to think about. I've heard a preacher that I deeply respect once said that evangelism and social action are like two wings of a bird. The church cannot fly except with both in action. And so this pastor had a passion for caring for the needs of people and with, and with that, giving them the gospel, showing them love and giving them the gospel and that's a great thing. Charles Spurgeon had some of the same ideas. He once said, if you give the man the gospel, wrap it in a sandwich. And if you give a man a sandwich, wrap it in the gospel. And I agree with Spurgeon. That's a great thing to do. Showing acts of love and within those opportunities, using that to share the gospel. That's great. And it's so just encouraging to see people in our church. We have people here in our church who have ministries of feeding the homeless, helping at pregnancy centers, serving in lots of other ways of helping people within their needs, and using that as opportunities to share the gospel. And it is a great encouraging thing to do that. And I say, praise God. That's what we do as Christians. We love on people and we give them the gospel. So yes, if you have the opportunity, give a sandwich and give the gospel. That's a good thing. Having said that, we need to be very careful that we, re we remember that the sandwich does not save. The sandwich does not save anyone. It is only the gospel that saves. And so we need to be very careful that in our methods of reaching people, connecting with people, that that doesn't take first priority. Christian history has a history full of mission drift where people have done wonderful, wonderful things of feeding, clothing the homeless, drilling wells, and the list goes on and on of wonderful things. And yet, slowly over time, the ministry becomes that. Because guess what? Feeding and clothing is way easier than trying to reach somebody with the gospel who is rejecting it. One is way easier to do than the other. Does that mean you reject the other side? No. But it does mean that we need to remind ourselves that our first priority is the simple message 
of the gospel. That is our priority in which God uses to save the lost. So we are those who preach the word. We preach the word because that is what God uses to lead to salvation. So with that in mind, um, one more verse in Corinthians. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and go to uh, chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he writes, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So in Paul's ministry, he did not spend time trying to win people over with his best arguments. Instead, he simply preached the message of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the power to save, to bring people to faith, that is the power of God. That is what he does. People's faith rests on God's power, and Paul says it has nothing to do with him. So he simply preached Christ in him crucified. That was his hope. That was his hope that people would take and receive. And we know that Paul was very successful and spreading the gospel through the ancient world and people coming to faith. And it was not through his well-crafted sermons or his well-crafted reasons. It was through this simple message of Jesus Christ in him crucified. That is where his hope was in within. So with that in mind, we are to preach the gospel. That is what we do. So that leads to our fourth reminder and pursuing evangelism God's way, and that is we must employ God's provisions in evangelizing the lost. We are, as we have been talking about, we are completely dependent on the Word of God used by the Spirit of God to save and sanctify sinners. And I would hope by this time you would say, of course, of course. And yet, the reason why we need to belabor this point is because it's so easy to forget that is so easy. We have to belabor this and remind ourselves that salvation is from the Lord and we have been given the ministry to the lost that is dependent on the word of God used by the spirit of God. We are dependent on his word. So with that in mind, please turn to Romans 10, 18 through 17. Romans chapter 10, 18 through 17. And I'm going to read this and just kind of give some quick observations for the sake of time. But this is a passage that should encourage us that it is the word of God that brings people to faith. So just to give a little bit of context prior to this, Paul is writing about his desires for the salvation of Israel to come to righteousness through Christ. And he writes this. And I'm going to stop a few points and give some observations. But verse 8. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. Once again, what was Paul preaching? He was preaching the word of Christ. He was preaching the gospel, the word of faith. And he continues, he says, 
that if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. For Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So once again, he even points to Scripture, making a promise that would be Isaiah 28, 16, pointing to the promise of in Christ, you're not going to be disappointed. Once again, everything is structured within Scripture. And so he writes this. He talks about how there's no distinction between people who are saved. He says, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, or and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That should give us such confidence that whoever believes and calls on the Lord is going to be saved. And yet... How are they going to know? And that's what Paul goes into. How do they go know about Christ? And so verse 14, he says, How then will they call upon him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. And he says, however, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And then verse 17, it's so important that we understand this verse. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So how are people going to know about Jesus unless somebody comes and tells them? And we have to be careful. The preacher that he's talking about right here is not somebody who is a pastor or preacher by occupation. He is talking about a messenger. He is writing to the Roman church. This is something that all Christians are to do. We are the beautiful feet that bring the gospel. And we are the ones that bring the message of salvation. How do people come to faith? How do they come to salvation? As he says, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So you are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And how are people going to know about that unless we give them that message of Jesus Christ? That is what we do. We have the most wonderful message of all of human history to give. And we are the ones who bring that message to those who desperately need to hear it. And so we are the feet that bring the gospel to the lost. That is us. It is the word of Christ. It is the gospel. It's the message of Christ. And just a question for all of us this morning is, are you ready for that? Are you, are you ready so that when the opportunity comes up, that you have something to say? Do you have scripture memorized and ready to share? Are you ready to open up your Bible and navigate it and point to different passages that display who Christ is and what he has done for sinners? Are, are, do you have an outline in your head how to theologically sum up different aspects of the gospel? Are you able to explain why sinners are in danger of the wrath of God? Are you able to explain who Jesus is and what he has done for salvation do you, are you able to, able to explain the rightful response to the gospel of believing in it and repenting, repenting of your sins? Is that something that you're able to explain to somebody as they have questions? Because guess what? They will have questions. 
And that's what we want. We want them to have questions because guess what? We have the answers in Scripture. Our friends are going to have questions. Our children are going to have questions. Family members are going to have questions. And we need to be the ones that are confident enough in what Scripture says about the gospel to be able to share it and point to them in God's word of how they are to be saved through the person and works of Jesus Christ. And so is that, is that something that you're able to do? Are you ready to do that? And, then, and the good news is, in this day and age, we're blessed with many resources to help us out with that. It's sometimes, it can be intimidating. I mean, the gospel is so simple, a child can understand it, but yet it's so complex that the greatest theologians will never wrap their minds around it. So we ourselves need to be constantly growing in our knowledge of Scripture for ourselves and our own walk with Christ, but also so that we, can able to, we are able to share that with lost people that need to hear it. So when you come to church, we should be growing in our knowledge of the gospel as we're listening to sermons, Sunday school lessons, Bible studies. As Aaron talked about last week, as we minister to one another within the faith, we should be strengthening each other in our knowledge of the gospel. That's something we do here at church. But also, we're blessed with lots of other resources. Just a few that I wrote down on your, on your worksheet, but Rick has a series on the gospel class that he preached I think it was a year or two ago. Go listen to it. It's a good reminder. It's very, very helpful. Um, what is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert? One of the books that we give uh, visitors. That's a good resource and to just strengthen your knowledge of the Gospel. If you go to our website, we have a section that says, What is a Christian? That explains the Gospel and gives verses that help with the theological concepts of how you were saved through Jesus Christ. We have resources. So it's something that we need to constantly be growing in our understanding, understanding in our conviction of the gospel that we are ready to share it with others. And we should constantly be encouraging one another to do that. Now, there's one other provision that we're going to end with, and this is something that should be happening constantly constantly in our lives, and that is that God is someone that we can pray to for help. If we actually believe in his sovereignty, that he is the Lord who is sovereign over salvation, that means he is the one that we are to pray to for our lost loved ones, for those we are witnessing to, for helping us minister to others. He is the one who is sovereign over that. That means we are the ones to pray to him. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13-14, it's so interesting to me because in those verses, I'm just going to um, sum it up for you, but Paul comforts the church by encouraging them of God's sovereignty and their salvation, that God chose them and they are the elect. And yet that doesn't stop him at all. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did with you. Paul requests prayer for the gospel to be spread. And so we need to do that too. So who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Are you constantly praying that, Lord, please spread your word. Let your word be glorified. He is the one who faithfully does that, and he is the one that we are to pray to for his provision. So we need to be the ones that are constantly praying that the Lord would use us 
to give his gospel message. And we need to be the ones that are out of our conviction, out of our compassion, that we are emboldened and we, ha- we present the gospel with courage, not because of who we are, not because of what's lacking in us, but because of who God is. He is the one that we hope in. He is the one who saves. And we need to be the ones who agree with Paul when he says Romans 1, 6, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So at Mission Road, our mission is to glorify God, making disciples. And how do we do that? We have the greatest message given to man throughout all history that we are to save And we have confidence that the Lord does save and reconcile sinners to himself through the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he's done for sinners. So we need to be the ones that never walk away from our confidence in his word. Let us pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much for this morning to just remind ourselves of who we are in you. That, Father, we are, if we we claim Christ. Father, we are those who've been saved by wrath and we are ambassadors and that is a work that you have done within us, not us. And Father, I pray that we would constantly remind ourselves of that and that would just embolden us to be able to be faithful in sharing the good news of you to those who desperately need to hear it. And Father, we, we do admit that we are so weak, sometimes cowardly in so many ways and sometimes sharing sharing the gospel with those who we know might reject it can be scary. And Father, I pray that you would please just burden our hearts to not have hope in ourselves, but Father, our hope would be grounded in you and the work that you have done. And Father, I pray that you would just use us this week, Father, bring people to us. And Father, I pray that you would continually just prepare us to be those who would be the ones who would be in the mission field every day, sharing the good news of your son. Father, please do that for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.